A warm welcome to my podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My podcast is all about short stories. I love to narrate and tell short stories chosen from different authors across the world, across the time. I love to tell short stories because these short stories make you taste a piece of life. Probably the incidents which you hear, the events which happen, they might have a similarity with your own experience or the culture or the activities or the pattern of activities, the emotions expressed. Could be something very foreign to you. Either way, every story has its own appeal and provides a sense of entertainment. Hopefully, you are liking my short stories. And it's my pleasure that I'm able to present these short stories to you. The story which I have chosen to narrate today is taken from O. Henry. And it's a very popular story that is Gift of the Magi. The title of the story, The Gift of the Magi. Here we go. One dollar and eighty-seven cents. That was all. She had put it aside, one cent and then another, and then another, in her careful buying of meat and other food. Della counted it three times, one dollar and eighty-seven cents, and the next day would be Christmas. There was nothing to do but to fall on the bed and cry, so Della did it. While the lady of the home is slowly growing quieter, we can look at the home, furnished rooms, at a cost of $8 a week. There is little more to say about it. In the hall below was a letter box, small to hold the letter, rather too small to hold the letter. There was an electric bell, but it could not make a sound. Also, there was a name beside the door, Mr. James Dillingham Young. When the name was placed there, Mr. James Dillingham Young was being paid $30 a week. Now, when he was being paid only $20 a week, the name seemed too long and important. It should perhaps have been Mr. James D. Young. But when Mr. James Dillingham Young entered the furnished rooms, his name became very short indeed. Mrs. James Dillingham Young put her arms warmly about him and called him Jim. You have already met her. 
she is Della. Della finished her crying, and cleaned the marks of it from her face. She stood by the window and looked out with no interest. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she had only one dollar eighty-seven cents with which to buy Jim a gift. She had put aside as much as she could for months. With this result, twenty dollars a week is not much. Everything had cost more than she had expected. It always happened like that. Only one dollar eighty-seven cents to buy a gift for Jim. Hard Jim. She had many happy hours planning something nice for Jim, something nearly good enough, something almost worth the honor of belonging to Jim. There was a looking glass. Between the windows of the room, perhaps you have seen the kind of looking glass that is placed in eight-dollar furnished rooms. It was very narrow. A person could only see a little of himself at a time. However, if he was very thin and moved very quickly, he might be able to get a good view of himself. Della. Being quite thin, had mastered the art. Suddenly, she turned from the window and stood before the glass. Her eyes were shining brightly, but her face had lost its color. Quickly, she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its complete length. James Dillingham Young's. Are very proud of two things, which they own. One thing was Jim's gold watch. It had once belonged to her father, and long ago it had belonged to his father's father. The other thing was Della's hair. If a queen had lived in the rooms near theirs, Della would have washed and dried her hair. Where the queen could see it, Della knew her hair was more beautiful than any queen's jewels and gifts. If a king had lived in the same place, with all his riches, Jim would have looked at his watch every time they met. Jim knew that no king had ever had anything so valuable. So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her, shining like a falling stream of brown water. It reached below her knee. It almost made herself into a truss for her. And then she put it up on her head again, nervously and quickly, while she stopped for a moment and stood. Still, while a tear too dropped, ran down her face. She put on her old brown coat 
She put on her old brown hat with a bright light in her eyes. She moved quickly, but the door was little jammed. She pushed it out and quickly again moved out the door and down to the street. Where she stopped again, the sign said, Miss Safrani, hair articles of all kinds. Up to second floor, Della ran and stopped to get her breath. Mrs. Safrani, large, white, cold eyed, looked at her. Will you buy my hair? asked Della. I buy hair, said Safrani. Take your hat off and let me look at it. Down fell the brown waterfall. Twenty dollars, said Mr. Safrani, lifting the hair to full its weight. Give it to me quick, said Della. Oh, and the next two hours seemed to fly. She was going from one shop to another to find a gift for Jim. She found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and no one else. There was no one other like it in any of the shops she had looked in every shop in the city. It was a gold watch chain, very simple made. Its value was in its rich, pure material because it was so plain and simple you knew that it was valuable. All good things are alike. It was good enough for the watch. As soon as she saw, she knew that Jim must have it. It was like him, quietness and value. Jim and the chain both had quietness and value. She paid $21 for it and she hurried home with the chain and 87 cents. With that chain on his watch, Jim could look at his watch and learn the time anywhere he might be. Though the watch was so fine, it had never had a fine chain. He sometimes took it out and looked at it only when no one could see it and do it. When Della arrived home, her mind quieted a little. She began to think more reasonably. She stared and started to try to cover the sad marks of what she had done. Love and large-hearted giving, when added together, can leave deep marks. It is never easy to cover these marks, dear friends, never easy. Within 40 minutes, her head looked little better. With her short hair, she looked wonderfully like a schoolboy. She stood at the looking glass for a long time. If Jeff doesn't kill me, 
she said to herself. Before he looks at me a second time, he will say, I look like a girl who sings and dances for money. But what could I do? What could I do with a dollar and 87 cents? At seven, Jim's dinner was ready for him. Jim was never late. Della held the watch chain in her hand and sat near the door where he always entered. Then she heard his step in the hall and her face lost color for a moment. She often said little prayers quietly, but every day simple things she included in her prayer and now she said, please God, make him think I'm still pretty. The door opened and Jim stepped in. He looked very thin and he was not smiling. Poor fellow, he was only 22 and with a family to take care of, he needed a new coat and he had nothing to cover his cold hands. Jim stepped inside the door. He was quiet as a hunting dog when it is near a bird. Her eyes looked strangely at Della and there was an expression on them that she could not understand. It filled her with fear. It was not anger, not surprise, nor anything she had been ready for. He simply looked at her with that strange expression on his face. Della went to him. Jim, dear, he cried. Don't look at me like that. I had my hair cut off and sold it. I couldn't live through Christmas without giving you a gift. My hair will grow again. You won't care, will you? My hair grows very fast. It's Christmas, Jim. Let's be happy. You don't know what a nice, what a beautiful, nice gift I got for you. You have cut off your hair, asked Jim slowly. He seemed to lever to understand what had happened. Cut it off and sold it, said Della. Don't you like me now? Ah, me, Jim. I'm the same without my hair. Jim looked around the room. You say your hair is gone? He said. You don't have to look for it, said Della. It's sold, I tell you. Sold and gone, too. Is an eye before Christmas, boy? Be good to me. Because I sold it for you. Maybe the hairs of my head could be counted, she said. But no one could ever count my love for you. 
Shall we eat dinner, Jim? Jim put his arms around Ella for ten seconds. Let us look in another direction. Eight dollars a week or a million dollars a year. How different are they? Someone may give you an answer, but it will be wrong. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. My meaning will be explained soon. From inside the coat, Jim took something tied in paper. He threw it upon the table. I want you to understand me, Dell, he said. Nothing like haircut could make me love you less. But if you'll open that, you may know what I felt when I came in. White fingers pulled off the paper and then a cry of joy and then to change to tears. For there lay the combs, the combs Della had seen in a shop window and loved for a long time. Beautiful combs with jewels, perfect for the beautiful hair. She had known they cost too much for her to buy them. She had looked at them without the least hope of owning them. Oh no, they were their hers, but her hair was gone. But she held them to her heart and at last able to look up and say, My hair grows so fast, Jim. And then she jumped up and cried, Oh, oh. Jim had not yet seen her beautiful gift. She held it out to him in her open hand, the gold sun to shine softly as of her own warm and loving spirit. Isn't it perfect, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at your watch a hundred times a day now. Give me a watch. I want to see how they look together. Jim sat down and smiled. Della, said he, let's put our Christmas gifts away and keep them a while. They're too nice for now. I sold the watch to get the money to buy the combs. And now I think we should have the dinner. The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men who bought gifts to the newborn Christ child. They were the first to give Christmas gifts, being wise their gifts were doubtless wise ones. And here I have told you the story of two children who were not wise, each sold their most valuable thing he owned in order to buy a gift for the other, but let one speak at last word so the wise of these days. Of all the wise gifts, these two were the most wise. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as are the most wise, everywhere they are the wise ones. 
they are the Magi. Ladies and gentlemen, hope you have loved the story. Until then, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, hopefully all of you are doing extremely well. This is Vaskar who brings you this podcast from the platform of Shah Stories. I've always been telling Shah Stories in a way that you get to hear the best of the Shah Stories from the authors from the different parts of the world when across the time. I try to pick and choose the Shah Stories which essentially project a sense of humanity and sometimes a sense of pathos because that's what life is all made of light and shade darkness and brightness so many things the interplay of light and shadow Dear gentlemen and ladies, so here is the story, the last leaf. I'm pretty much certain that you're going to enjoy the story in a way that we all enjoy stories because for each of us, our lives are made of so many different kind of stories. Every moment of life is composing a kind of a story, and we are living in that story. So when we get to know about the others, their stories, there is also a kind of curiosity that is hiding deep within ourselves that gets quenched and satisfied. Our life is made of small, small dramas, incongruities, surprises. We don't realize them ourselves, but when we see those especially from the keen observational eye of an author. They continuously keep fascinating us in one way or the other. That's the reason I decided to bring these short stories to you from the great creators, Mopasa, Forrester, Mom, Henry, O. Henry, and so many stalwarts. Here we go. Today the story which I have chosen to narrate is The Last Leaf by O. Henry. In a small part of the city of the west of Washington Square, the streets have gone wild. They turn in different directions. They are broken into small places. One street goes across itself one or two times. A painter once discovered something possible and valuable about the street. Suppose a painter had some painting materials for which he had not paid. Suppose he had no money. Suppose a man came to get the money. The man might walk down the street and suddenly meet himself back again without having received a cent. This part of the city is called Greenwich Village and to old Greenwich Village the painters came 
yet they found rooms alike with good light and low cost. Sue and Jonesy lived at the top of the building of the three floors. One of these young women came from Maine and the other from California. They had met at the restaurant on 8th Street. They had discovered that they liked the same kind of food, same kind of food, same kind of clothes, so they decided to leave and work together. That was in the spring. To adventure a cold stranger entered the Greenwich Village. No one could see him. He walked around, touching one person here or another, there with his icy fingers. He has a bad sickness. Doctors called him pneumonia. On the east side of the city, he hurried touching many people, but in the narrow streets of Greenwich Village, he did not move so quickly. Mr. Pneumonia was nursed children. A nice old gentleman did not hurt a weak little woman from California. But Mr. Pneumonia touched a jancy with his cold fingers. She lay on her bed almost without moving, and she looked through the window at the wall of the next house. One morning the busy doctor spoke to Sue alone in the hall where Chauncey could not hear. She has a very small chance, he said. She has a chance if she wants to love. If people don't want to leave, I can't do much for them. Your little lady has decided that she is not going to get well. Is there something troubling her? She always wanted to go to Italy and paint a picture of the Bay of Naples, said Sue. Paint? Not paint. Is there anything worth having troubled about a man? A man, said Sue. Is a man worth? No, doctor. That's not a man. It's a weakness, said the doctor. I'll do all I know how to do, but when a sick person begins to feel that he's going to die, half of my work is useless. Talk to her about new winter clothes if she's interested in future, her chances will be better. After the doctor had gone, Sue went to the workroom to cry. Then she walked into Johnsy's room. She carried some of her painting material. She was singing. Johnsy lay there, very thin and very quiet. Her face was turned toward the window. She stopped singing, thinking Johnsy was asleep. Sue began to work. As she worked, she heard a little sound again and again. She went quickly to the bedside. Johnsy's eyes were open wide. She was looking out the window and counting, counting back. Twelve, she said, and a little later, eleven, and then ten, nine, and then eight, and seven, almost all together. Sue looked out the window. What was there to count? There was only one side of the wall of the next house, a short distance away. The wall had no window. An old tree grew almost to the wall. The cold breath of the winter had already tested. Almost all its leaves had fallen from its dark branches. What is it, dear? I said. Six, said Johnson in a voice still lower. They are falling faster now. Three days ago there were almost a hundred. It hurt my head to count them. Well, no, it's easy. There goes another one. There are only five now. Five what, dear? 
obtain your soul. Leaves on the tree. When the last one falls, I must go too. I have known that for three days. Didn't the doctor tell you? Oh, I never heard of such a thing, said Sue. He doesn't have any sense of it. What does an old tree have to do with you? Or with your getting well? And you used to love the tree so much. Don't be a little fool. The doctor told me your chances of getting well. He told me this morning. He said you had a very good chance. Try to eat little and then I'll go back to work and then I can sell my picture and then I can buy something more for you to eat to make you strong. You don't have to buy anything for me, said Johnson. She still looked out the window. There goes another. No, I, I don't want anything to eat. Now therefore, I want to see the last one fall. Night. Then I'll go too. Jossie dear, said Sue, will you promise me to close your eyes and keep them closed? Will you promise not to look out the window until I finish working? I must have this picture ready tomorrow. I need the light. I can't borrow cover the window. Couldn't you work in the other room? Asked Chauncey coldly. I'd rather be here by you, said Sue, and I don't want you to look at those leaves. Tell me as soon as you're finished, said Chauncey. She closed her eyes, lay white and still, because I want to see the last leaf fall. I have done enough of waiting. I have done enough of thinking. I don't want to go sailing down, down like one of those leaves. Try to sleep, Sue. I must call Bevan to come up here, and I want to paint the mountain's picture. I will make him look like a bay man. I won't be gone a minute. Don't try to move till I come back. Old Bayman was a painter who lived on the first floor of their pubs. He was past sixty, he had no success as a painter. His forty years he had painted without ever painting a good picture. He had always talked of painting a great picture, a masterpiece, but he had never started yet on that. He got a little money by letting others paint pictures of him. He drank too much. He still talked of great masterpiece, and he believed that it was a special duty to do everything possible to help Sue and Johnsey. Sue believed him in the dark room, and she knew that he had been drinking. She could smell it. She told him about Johnsey and the leaves and the wine. She said that she was afraid that Johnsey would indeed sail down like a leaf. Her hold on the world was going weaker. Old Bremen shouted his anger over such an idea. What he cried? Are there such wolves? Do people die because leaves drop off a tree? I have not heard such a thing. No, I will not come up and sit while you make a picture of me. Why do you allow her to think in such a way? That poor little Johnsy. She is very sick and weak, said Sue. The sickness had put this... Strange ideas into her mind, Bremen. If you won't come, you won't. But I don't think you're very nice. Just like a woman, shouted Bremen. Who said I'll not come? Go, I'll come with you. Half an hour I've been trying to say that I'll come, God. This is not any place for someone so good as Johnsy to lie sick. 
Someday I shall paint the masterpiece and we shall go away from here forever. God, yes. Jossie was slipping. When they went up, she covered the window and took Bremen into the other room. And they looked out the window, fearfully at the tree. They looked at each other for a moment without speaking. A cold rain was falling and a little snow in it too. Bremen sat down and Sue began to paint. She worked the most of the night. In the morning, after an hour's sleep, she went to Johnsy's bedside. Johnsy, with wide-opened eyes, was looking toward the window. I want to see, she told you. Sue took the cover from the window. But after beating rain and the wild wind that had not stopped the whole night, there was one leaf to be seen against the wall. It was the last of the tree. It was a dark green near the branch, but at the ages it was turning yellow and age. There it was hanging from a branch nearly twenty feet above the ground. It was the last one, said Jonesy. I thought it would surely fall during the night. I heard the wind. I'll fall today. And I shall die at the same time. Dear, dear, Jonesy says, so think of me and you won't think of yourself. What would I do? But Jonesy did not answer. The most lonely thing in this world is a soul when it is preparing to go on its far journey. The ties that I held her to friendship and to the earth were breaking one by one. That day slowly passed. As it grew dark, they could still see the leaf hanging from its branch against the wall. And then, as the night came, the north wind began to blow, the rain still beat against the windows. When it was light enough the next morning, Jonesy again commanded that she'd love to see. The leaf was still there. Jonesy lay for a long time looking at it, and she called to Sue, who was cooking something for her to eat. I've been a bad girl, Sue, Jonesy said. Something has made that little leaf to show how bad girl I was. It was a wrong thing to die. I'll try now, but the first thing bring me the looking glass so that I can see myself and I will sit up and watch you cook. An hour later she said, Sue, my day, someday I hope to paint the Bay of Naples. The doctor came in the afternoon, Sue followed him into the hall outside Johnsy's room to talk to him. The chances are good, said the doctor. She took Sue's hands in the shaking hands of hers. Give her a good care and she will get well. And now I must see another sick person in this house. His name is Bear Brown. A painter, I believe, pneumonia too. Mike is an old man, and he's very well. There is no hope for him, but we take him to the hospital today. We'll make it easy for him as we can. The next day, the doctor said to Sue, She is safe, and you have done it. Food and care now, that's all. And that afternoon, Sue came to the bed where Johnsy lay. She put warm around her. I have something to tell you, she said. Mr. Bayman died of pneumonia today in the hospital. He was ill only two days. Someone found him in the morning of the first day in his room. He was helpless with pain. His shoes and his clothes were wet as cold as sores. Everyone wondered where he had been. The night had been so cold and wild. And they found some things. There was a light that he had taken outside. And there were his materials for painting. There was a paint, green, paint, yellow, paint. And look out the window, dear, it was the last leaf on the wall. Didn't you wonder why it never moved when the wind was blowing? Oh, my dear, it is Burman's 
great masterpiece he painted it there the night that the last leaf fell my dear listeners ladies and gentlemen hope you like this story if you really like it well my podcast deserves to be continued thank you so much take care of yourself